Hey, welcome to Rec Reflect. Today we have our first special guest star with Dr. Michael Ann Lord as she discusses her leadership style and what it means to her to be a leader. We get into some talking about areas of growth and problem areas that we'll face in recreation in the next four to five years. And finally, she gives us some great advice for not only the young professionals in the field, but also those who might be wrapping up their legacy in the recreation field. If you haven't listened to Dr. Michael Ann Lord talk before, you're in for a treat. Welcome to Rec Reflect. Dr. Lord, thank you so much for being here with us today. My pleasure. Wonderful. So I wonder if you could start out with uh, everybody that's listening us to this is probably a TRAPS member, but can you go ahead and just break down what is our organization? Wow. Uh, well, first and foremost, it's a 501c3 nonprofit. Uh, we are an educational, we press the educational piece of that 501c3 status. Um, but we're also, we, we come from roots of a professional membership. And we were a 501c6 originally founded, but we always acted like a 501c3. So back in 2010, we made that conversion. And I would say that throughout the whole thing, we are a family. I mean, I, I certainly see it as that. Most members will tell you there's this sense of family within TRAPS. We're made up of both professionals future professionals, and then citizen advocates. We have all, all ages, shapes, and sizes in the organization, and we share at least one love, and that's for parks and recreation in its, its broadest sense. So we embrace the diversity and the, and the um, complexity to some degree that is our field. Okay, so I, I've always, so me and Will love to talk about like what got us into recreation. I want to know what got you, the matriarch, <laughs> is recreation. What well, you know, I, I, I may have backed into it sort of. Uh, the very first thing that I really remember in terms of what I think I was being involved in was um, I volunteered in high school on a playground because they had one act plays and I thought theater was my calling. And so I was doing uh, one act plays, a uh, summer, summer playground, one act play competition. And I did that for a couple of years and then I got into college and, um, I, my, and I joined a sorority and my pledge trainer was a parks and recreation um, summer employee and had been for years. And she told me about playground interviews. So I went there. I said, well, I know playgrounds. I'll go interview, right? Got a, got a job and worked that for four or five summers. They bumped me up to doing summer supervision of playgrounds, meaning I had more than just my playground to supervise. And then uh, the, the funny thing is I still didn't see that as a calling for a career. It was the way I made money to pay my bills, you know, while I went to school. Um, but when I got ready to graduate, Austin Part offered me a job. And I said, dude, I can't. I got this great opportunity to go travel for my sorority. And I get to travel all over the country and do this. I go, ooh, you go, you go. What a wonderful opportunity. So I did. Came back, worked for him in the summer. Then they offered me a job again, this full-time job. And I went, I can't. I got this chance to go to grad school. And it's all paid for. And I went, oh, well, you need to go and do that. So I did. And while I was at grad school, 
in educational research, I went, I am not happy. I don't know what I really want to do. I got a degree in radio, television, film, and speech, which I use all the time, but I knew I wasn't. And so I took one of those tests that tells you what you're going to be when you grow up. You know, it said the first, the three top things. First, I was going to be a Navy officer. Mm, okay. <laughs> Second, a YMCA director. And third, I think an Army officer. All that meant was, hey, you're going to Parks and Recreation. You're going to wind up in administration, right? <laughs> so uh, I came back to Austin Park. And I said, hey, I'm ready to work full time. I go, great. You have no jobs. So uh, Beverly Sheffield, who was certainly... A, a very key person in the in the field, not only in Texas, but nationally. He was a, one of the first playground leaders for Austin Park back in 1928. At any rate, he was the director, and they were moving him over to open up the Office of Bicentennial Affairs. And he said, okay. And then he said, but I need somebody. And so he knew that I was looking. He said, come with me. And we'll open up the Office of Bicentennial Affairs, do all these special events and this stuff. I said, well, that's great. But if anything opens up with, with Austin Pard, I'm gone. He said, okay. Four months later, I'm working as a rec center supervisor and have done lots of different positions ever since. And then I went back and got my degree in my master's in therapeutic rec and whatnot. So I sort of backed into it. But then when, I, when you asked me that question today, I stopped and had a flashback. I must have been maybe seven, and I was at the YWCA summer camp. And I can I had this image of us running around in the yard barefoot, beating drums and doing, I don't know, we were being Indian, whatever. I don't really remember, but it just flashed. I went, well, maybe I really was influenced all along and I didn't realize it, but that sort of it. No, yeah, I, I, I have these conversations with other rec professionals and it seems to be a theme. They're like they something that triggers a memory from our youth that we were outside doing something. And for me, it was uh, I was an Eagle Scout and like in the Boy Scouts and just being outside. I remember my most vivid memory from Boy Scouts is waking up. I was 10 years old, waking up at a summer camp in Oklahoma. And one of the, the park rangers had a wolf dog. And it was like, it was like one of those dogs that are just huge. <laughs> woke me up. It was five in the morning. It woke me up by licking my face and I screamed because I thought I was going to get eaten by a wolf. <laughs> and then all the scout masters like, Oh, it's okay. It's okay. Just shh, you're going to wake everybody else up. So absolutely. I love it. So I love to hear the history of how you became um, a parks and rec leader. So would you kind of tell us about what is your leadership style? Who was to the core of Dr. Michael Anlor? Wow. Leadership style. Um, <clears throat> I think I like to try to build consensus whenever possible. Um, so there's some democracy, you know, democratic type of leadership. But I also feel like uh, I, I've been fortunate to and I've been drawn towards more of that mentoring, coaching kind of style of leadership. I like to think that I have the ability to inspire, to share a vision. At the same time, um, I also really feel it's it's a incumbent incumbent on me to 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 be very realistic and pragmatic, 
And so, I don't know, I really probably have this very eclectic approach. It's just a Heinz 57, you put it all into a pot and there I am. Uh, in terms of leadership style, I mean, I could give you all the formal models and the like, but um, I really think that I hope that I am a model for others, you know? All of your explanation, it, it started to sound like, um, I'm just going to make the analogy of you're a mixed martial art leader. Like you take, <laughs> you take okay. from boxing, you took what works from kickbox, like all these different martial arts and you put them together in one style and it just works. And it, because it takes strengths from everybody. And so I really love to hear that. So uh, with that mentoring model of leadership, what does the mentor mentee look like in your eyes? Um, well, you know, I, I guess because I have years under my belt for whatever that's worth, we've got both good, bad, and probably a couple of ugly experiences that I can share if, if needed. But I really like to try to um, challenge the mentee. I ask lots of questions all the time. You know, what do you, what do you want to be when you grow up? Well, why do you want to go there? Uh, what do you think of your strict, you know, all those kind of things all the time. Cause I think um, in asking questions, we may have the answer, but we have to at least stop momentarily when the question is asked and really go, what, 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 what do I really think? And then that pulls that up. And then sometimes when we say it, we check it and go, well, maybe that's not exactly what I really think. And I think, Ooh, great. You've reflected. You've already had an aha kind of moment. Maybe it's a little one, but that's great. So trying to provide some aha moments is important. Um, certainly being a resource. I really love being the devil's advocate. I love messing up young minds <laughs> from the standpoint that in doing that, you grow. And I really think a mentor is there to help the mentee grow in the path that they believe or help them to shed light on the path they think they want to go. They make the decisions, not the mentor. No. The mentor is there to shed light maybe, to provide some information, possible reflection, possibly sharing some hard lessons learned. But really the mentee is all the one that's in control. It's their life. And hopefully it's a give and take because I haven't met anyone that I think I've been mentored formally or informally that I haven't taken something away for my own growth. Okay. So you're saying, I love that you were like, Hey, as a mentor, I'm learning as well. I really like that. And I really like that. The, the statement that it was like, there's no growth in the comfort zone and there's no comfort. Oh yeah. Oh, amen. And so I really like, so specifically you say you, you, you press and you challenge. What does that specifically look like? How do, how, how do you, challenge a mentor or a mentee sorry well first you know we'll have conversations where do you want to go what are you thinking you want to do what's stopping you from getting there um and i know of one mentee that i in the course of all those dialogues over months and whatnot i said you need to come to texas they weren't from texas i said we need you in texas and i think what you need you will find in texas and um came to visit, went back, tried some other kinds of things. Sure enough, she moved, got a job, moved to Texas, brought her family. And um, she, she 
changed jobs two or three times because opportunities just happened because she was well um, ahead of the job opportunities that she got. So as a matter of take the big jump, make it work. She went off and did a couple other things, but keeping her in. So I, I always ask, okay, so what's blocking you? What else do you need? Where do you need to go? Uh, is there a better way of doing whatever? And I've also said, hey, you know, you're going to have to do X if you really want to go where you want to go. Or you're going to have to give up that. You know, you're going to have to, I've told one that they're going to have to change their appearance. You know, I said, if you really want to be a director, you're going to have to make some changes. You know, not to change your inner soul, but, you know, it's first reactions. And unfortunately, when you're a director of a department, you're meeting a lot of people for the first time. You want to be as, you're passionate. This gentleman was passionate um, for the field. I said, your passion is, is contagious. That's going to be one of your greatest strengths. But if you, if, if people don't sort of tune in to you at first um, look, and that's a sad thing that we say, but it's the truth, then how are you going to be able to share your passion? And yeah. so over time, things have changed. His internal soul has not changed. His passion has not changed. He, he has gradually snuck into the, to a, to a little different look. Oh, of that. May not still be the mm, traditional, but it is much, uh, I think, more effective for cross-section of people, people Texas communities. And they, it's more palatable that they'll listen. Yeah. Immediately close off. I love that. The, the thought of enclosed cognition, the way that we dress shapes the way people think about, think and treat us and change oh, absolutely. ourselves. Oh, yes, absolutely. Okay. And it is said that we have to go down that road, but that's the reality. That's why I was saying I think sometimes my leadership is really about being pragmatic and realistic. Realistic. It's maybe not endorsing like, hey, you you need to dress a certain way or have a certain thing because I think it's right. It's sometimes it's like, hey, if you want a career as like an administrative position in a large city, that think about all the stakeholders you're going to come in contact with and like you're going to be in essentially you're in city administration and that's a little more buttoned down than uh i think most rec people where we come from is you know i'm at my most comfortable in a t-shirt a pair of khaki shorts and my chacos and just <laughs> just and just walking around like at a national park or a state park um but it's hard for me to get a job if they only see me as somebody who is, I don't, I don't know what the, the, the right word to say it because I, leisure is so fulfilling, but some people might think like, Oh, he's just kind of a, a lazy, a lazy person. Yeah. Or all they do is leisurely time. You see, it's the perceptions of others, but for them, that's the reality. Yeah. And so we have to, we have to, we don't have to, we make a conscious choice. Yeah. Oh gosh, that that makes me think about John Dewey's uh, relationship when he was talking about uh, recreation and uh, meaningless le meaningless leisure. That uh, so John Dewey, the educational psychologist, mm -hmm. great philosopher. I still love. I mean, it's so hard. Do you ever read old books? And you're like, I know that this is in English, but 
It's so many big words. I, yeah. I was like, I'm having to use the thesaurus for every other word. Maybe yeah. expand my vocabulary. But we were talking about uh, recreation as hands-on, learning by doing. Oh, that's that's the part where I just get, I feel my heart rate pick up a little bit when I talk about it. Okay, so I wanted to switch gears a little bit and talk a little more about the organization of traps. Okay. And so I, I just wanted to ask some questions about, so in the past what, eight, nine months, uh, everybody across the nation in recreation has had had hard conversations about what does the future of recreation right now look like. And so I just would like to get some of your perspectives on what are some of the biggest challenges and biggest opportunities for growth you see for us in the next four to five years? Well, I think the first immediate challenge um, boils down to two things. One is going to be economic and the other one is safety. Those are frontal issues in the minds of every citizen in the state of Texas and probably across the country. And that has implications, already having implications to our delivery systems. We've had frozen budgets or reduced budgets. At best, we're going to be the same as we were. However, I think the demand of services is going up because we've had all this, shall we say, enforced free time. Um, to, to get out in our parks. Our parks are being really utilized where they haven't before. So that's going to create, uh, I think, more opportunity. People are going to see, oh my, I should be using my parks more, more demand. How are we going to respond? Um, also, our people have been highly creative in responding to the um, everybody staying home and not being able to utilize public indoor spaces and the like, but they've been so innovative in terms of getting things out. And safety is going to be that other issue because we are the, the whole awareness of the COVID and what it can do, people are um, expecting that. And we, and we demand that. We, we're set up with, you know, um, wear a mask, wash your hands, da, 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 da. All those things are important. We will have, that will carry over. Some of which I am so happy that it's going to carry over, you know. Just some good uh, personal hygiene will be beneficial for everyone. Think about... Um, It'll just be, it'll be safer for all folks. If we want an inclusive environment for our elderly, for our kiddos, for those with special needs, knowing that we're just a little bit, uh, shall we say, cleaner, uh, that's going to be a healthier place, maybe healthier for our employees. That would be wonderful that they're not putting themselves in, in a, a precarious position. So I think safety consciousness is going to be very critical. We're going to have to think about it. I think... I've been, I've been hearing people um, really look into this and lean into it maybe, is that we, uh, as we eased back, or we are easing back, uh, we're, we're really having to think about what kind of protocols we need to have in place um, beyond, you know, we only often thought about program, maybe we thought a little risk management and we went about our merry way, but now we really have to look at protocols not only from a programmatic standpoint but protocols from the time you enter the door of a facility or what kind of protocols apply when we're talking about outdoor environments park crews have changed how they clean restrooms in the parks um you know i would bet i, I haven't gone to a park recently that had an admission but I can think about all the parks you go in, you meet the guy at the kiosk, you know, 
some of them might be wearing uh, rubber gloves. Or they hand you the brochure. On, I mean, just some different ways of doing things uh, is going to be. But so those are the first immediate issues. And the other issue, I think, is there's there's been a real realization, I think, both from a business standpoint in general, and then in Parks and Rec, um, that uh, we really don't have to do all the things we did to still have an impact. We've created some new innovative ways, but I think we have demonstrated and now we're going to have to really tell the story of how essential we are. Now we've often said we're an essential service, trying to convince decision makers from time to time to, about that, you know, is, is challenging. But when you think that we help individuals stay healthy, stay connected, engaged in the environment because they were headed to our parks, etc. Maybe it was to keep them sane in some cases, to de-stress in others, that there's real opportunity to move parks and recreation to a more health focus. And we've always had that. And we missed the first wellness movement I, I can remember I was working at Austin Park and the first time um, we were approached, it might have been early 80s maybe, that um, the hospital folks wanted to hook up and let's do some wellness. And we sort of let that by going, oh, we got all these other things. We're not really in health. Now we're clamoring. Now we finally got physicians in some areas writing prescriptions to go out and play or walk in the park every day or whatever the case might be. We're about ready to, uh, well, we have just signed on to work with the uh, Fitness National Campaign, and they have a component in that that's a real health-oriented piece, health education piece, that we're looking at how we can tie that into what we do uh, from the organization and share that with our, with our folks so that some of our agencies are really more health-oriented. I mean, they are recognizing that health well-being um, opportunity. Others have not, but it is a, a place that needs to be addressed. It is um, all ages, the lifespan, the health of a community is both collective as well as individual. And we have one of the best games in town to make that happen. So that's going to be a new opportunity and certainly a new challenge. And perhaps shifting the paradigm for some folks. Okay. Man, that is so much to think about. Thank you so much for that. Um, I, I wanted to go back and ask a few questions about how do we convince others that recreation is essential? That <laughs> rec is, is fundamental to having fully formed humans. Absolutely. You know, um, recreation, leisure play, whatever name you wish to apply to it, is from womb to tomb, for sure. Um, it's essential because that's how we, we make our first engagement with our environment, really. All you have to do is look at a baby. They're exploring all the time. Maybe they're exploring their toes and fingers, and then they go to all their toys, and then they explore and we build social interaction and that quest to know about new things. And we learn all the skills necessary to be 
uh, human being in our world. Uh, you know, we learn our motor skills, we learn our cognition, all that comes through play, through recreation. Then the important thing as it applies to society is that you think about, I go back to the days when we played in the streets. Nobody knows that. I mean, only you have to be long in, in the tooth to know about playing in the streets. Um, but literally, we would go to the streets, draw our four square on the, on the streets or made our improvised uh, kickball field or whatever the case might be. But we initiated problem-solving skills right there. Who's bringing the ball? Who's got the chalk? What are we going to do? Who's on whose team? How do we make all that happen? All these are skills to being an effective individual. And isn't that the responsibility of all society is to make our members as effective as they possibly can be? To me, that's essential. How can we have a society or a community if we don't have well, healthy, um, enlightened, and to some level of accomplishment, skilled to function? That's essential. We're right up there. We provide education. We provide um, release. Uh, we provide that growth and development from the um, both mental, physical, and emotional domains. We can go through the textbook, but that's pretty essential. If we did away with play, I did an activity once. I say, um, write down three things you get out of your leisure. We're on post-its. And then I said, okay, I'm all powerful. Give me one back. So I take that all back from them. I said, great. How's your leisure? You don't have to tell me right now. Just think about it. You only have those two things left in your leisure. That's the only thing you get out of your leisure, whether it's health, whether that's friends, it doesn't matter what's on your piece of paper, but that's all you get. I'm really powerful. Give me one more. They have to, now they got two to choose from. How do you make that choice? Well, they give up one. They got one and this is all their leisure can be for them. Mm. And so you like it? Are you happy with it? Some say yes. Some are going, no, I want, I want all of them. And if I took it away again, then your life would be without. And most people don't like that option whatsoever. We're essential to being the social beings that we are, to being, um, no matter if we are um, as very introverted, we're still part of a bigger entity. In our, in our recreation, our leisure, I think, helps us be able to engage at least in part for that. It's about health, wellness, and engagement. Okay, man, that whew, man, we could just listen to you know what? It's uh it's amazing that we can't get you on every week because I could just listen to you talk. And <laughs> so absolutely that's that's really awesome. So I w wanted to once again change uh, change routes, and I wanted to ask from uh, from the educator side. Yes. Uh, what is so? Because earlier you said traps. We're we're really pushing the education part. W what do you see is maybe the biggest barrier to get more maybe educators involved in traps? Ooh, that's a very good one. You know, um, and I think that's a, a key. A key thing because we know research says I know you've read it that when we can engage um, say the college student 
into recreation and leisure in a professional organization, they typically will stay engaged throughout their professional career. But a lot of times that student's engagement is dependent upon the professors or instructors that they're involved with, their expectation, their encouragement and the like. And, and you know, the world changes where in academia, we used to look for service, research, and I forgot the other one. What is it? Professional engagement. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now we're pushing more and more of the research, but that service and professional engagement is really critical to, to really non-classroom learning for our students. But if we don't have the in-classroom teacher's expectation that that's important and selling that, then it's going to be hard to, um, harder to engage the young professional, the future professional in that. So somehow we've got to reach out, and, and I'm pointing it at traps, man. We need to figure out how, t- what is it that you, you're a professor at a university, what is it for you? What do you need to find value in traps, for example, and make that meaningful um, so that you're engaged? And by your engagement, you are a model for your students. I also know that you're committed to bringing students along as well. But even if you didn't bring students along, your engagement's a model. They're seeing that. So I think we have to figure out a better way. When it, when it was service and professional engagement, we probably had a little more, um, and I can say that from an RPA's perspective too, because I've uh, been a member of that for 40 something years. So, uh, and seen that change as well, that we've, we've got to get something that's truly meaningful for them. And for some who have had to go, not had, well, maybe they had to go to the route of research, the, that, brass ring for them, then we need to create the opportunity. I think we have willingness, but we need a, to create the system that would maybe give them that kind of uh, outcome or opportunity so that they could feel more willingly uh, wanting to engage. I'm not sure making sense, but I think because of the expectation at the university levels has changed for professors, okay. for the teaching staff, that then, and we may not as a professional organization have shifted enough to then meet or provide an, a venue for academic, uh, our academic professionals to find engagement and fulfillment. You know, it's great to make presentations, that's a piece of the puzzle, but are we able to, can we publish? Can we uh, do research, which are highly Pushed. And I've, we, we are happy to engage research projects. We're willing to do that. We have mechanisms um, to publish. Um, we, we wish that our magazine would move to the level that we truly could have refereed. We're not there yet, but we've upped our game over the, the last years. But we would be very willing to move in part towards that. So I think we've got to find a vehicle. Um, because once the students, most of the students come and are engaged, they want to stay engaged. But it's also so much easier to stay engaged if you've got role models, 
and their first role model is their professors. Well, I absolutely love being a part of TRAPS. Getting to go to the Institute every year is always the highlight of my springs. So um, I, I'm really looking forward to what this, this next, the, the upcoming Institute in the spring will look like. What is recreation's greatest moral challenge of the next decade? Wow, that one really needs to be thought about. Uh, so I guess I'll just do my knee jerk first. Um, I'm really thinking to be honest to ourselves. When I say honest to ourselves, I mean certainly as individuals. If you can't be honest to yourself, um, that's you're in a pickle. But I think we have to be honest to our profession, and that sometimes means asking very hard, brutal questions of ourselves. You know, being brutally honest, not to be mean, but really to be blunt and not sugar-coated. And um, a lot of times you get pushed and pulled, and I, you know. Fundamentally, honesty and trust, to me, are, are, are building blocks um, to, and are fundamental from moral. So I think we have to be honest, and we have to be able to be good stewards, both from the standpoint of conservation, but in terms of trust and ability to take care um, of our community and all that it is. I also think that if if we if we are honest, then we are true to principles and we don't we don't roll over and i don't that does not mean we don't make changes when it's necessary but there are some fundamental truths to to parks and rec you know we are fundamentally um about growing and developing the individual and you never stop you know we do that with our seniors as well as our preschoolers we are fundamentally helped to develop our community I mean, we have folks that do trail cleanups and lake cleanups and building playgrounds sometimes or um, helping us put on special events. So that builds the community. We go in and we do public input sessions with neighborhoods to figure out what is it that they need. That all builds community. And I think that takes trust and honesty. And we have that responsibility and then I guess the, the thing that goes with that then is accountability. And I guess that gets on the other side because accountability to me in part is being held that you're honest and you've held the trust that was given to you. So uh, that one, this is a hard question. Right. And I need to think about it more. <laughs> well, you answered it masterfully. Uh, so how does a person, so as a person is, goes up through the ranks and they gain more and more power and influence, what are, what are ways that leaders can maintain that accountability? Ooh. Like how do you, how do you maintain accountability if you have, you might not have anybody that acts as your, your, the, the thermometer or the, of the, of the organization. Everybody may be too afraid to get out against the boss. Yeah. What is, well, patients. Well, I guess if you you have to be accountable to yourself, I, and I'm sort of spinning that in my in an experience of mine, that I know that a lot of times in some former positions, that I got to a place where um, I didn't feel like we were doing what was right or what was um, true to the field and the the 
order, if you will, in terms of providing services. And so I, I had a choice. I could stay and keep my mouth shut. I could complain or I might look for some, some other alternative. So I think you have to be willing to, to take a stand, to speak up, and then be willing to accept the consequences. And that may mean move on. So with accountability, you have to, it has to start with you. Um, you hold yourself accountable as you would hold others accountable. And if the powers that be the above you are not holding you accountable, then, then you have to call even more upon yourself to hold yourself accountable. Back to what we were talking about, about the getting educators more involved. So yes. right now we have, you know, Angela State was pretty, we're, we're pretty involved. Not as is involved. I'm jealous about uh, Texas State and A&M. Uh, RPTS about all the people that they'll bring to to the institute. That's my 15-year goal. Is that in 15 years I would love to be having to get a charter bus to get everybody That's right. from Angelo State to yeah. traps. I feel when I talk to kids that are in my my program kinesiology, that so many of them are just not aware that there are jobs in recreation. I think that's probably a true statement. They, they think that, oh, okay, it's a, uh, that's a summer job that I do. And then I have to go get my real job. And I'm like, Hey, if you like that, you can do that as a career. That's the, the long-term goal. I really like traps because, well, I think I have a, a luxury not afforded to a lot of professors. I'm at, I'm at a, a, an institution that's mainly teaching. And so what I'm asked to do research wise is not as stringent as if someone was a professor from Texas State or Texas A&M. So. Yeah, well, and, you know, Texas State started, when I started, and it was Southwest Texas teaching, we were much like probably Angelo State, where teaching and service was more important. Well, mm -hmm. maybe they were all equally, but quite frankly, teaching and service was where they were fulfilling a unique niche and really um, were gold standards. And... Um, you know, it's not the same. Of course, but that's that's the old self saying, "Oh, it's not like it was." <laughs> um, but when I think you're teaching, emphasis is on teaching. Then the service is just another way that you teach. Yeah. Service engagement in in service and and professional organization is just another tool in the teaching box, where <sighs> they're getting. You know, it's kind of like applied instruction, and it's kind of like experiential. And um, the things that they learn by sharing information, walking to the hall to the next session, or they're at a social and they're meeting different kinds of professionals and the professional is talking about, well, what are you doing? What would you like to do? What, you know, have you thought, what kind of experience have you had? All these things and just being a sponge, yeah. an engaged sponge at professional organizations can be great. I, I can remember my very first NRPA, and this is in 74, and I had just come on full-time with um, the department. And I got to go to dinner, and I, around the table were people like um, Doris Berryman, uh, Edith Ball, uh, Claudia Lefebvre, uh, Folks that were really big in TR because I had just come on to take over the TR program and didn't know anything about it. Mm. And, but I knew enough that, you know, I had heard these names and I'm sitting eating spaghetti with them. 
you know, but that, <laughs> but what you could absorb with what they were talking about and whatnot. They were certainly contributors to the field. You know, they were textbook authors. They were leaders in professional associations. Bionette Spudge just soaking it up. It was as educational as going to a session. Well, probably far more educational. But yeah, that's what you get, you know, and I think you're wise in taking your, your students. You know, you take three or four this time and three or four another time and then it grows to six, and et cetera. And now we're seeing a couple of your folks coming back for their second tour or their third tour, you know, <laughs> for that. And that's wonderful. That's what it's about. So it's a place. And Absolutely. I think you are right. I think when teaching is, I'm not knocking research. But I think we we got into the business, I did, to teach, to share, as I say, to mess up young minds, and not to mess them up in terms of that, but to always question, am I doing enough? How can I make this better? Um, what is needed? How can I better be a better advocate? You know, whatever. Absolutely, it, man. That that you just made made me have a flashback to my PhD times when I was at A and M, and I I you brought two specific memories back. Uh, uh -oh. David David Scott, prof yes. uh, full professor at A and M and RPTS. Uh, I still remember a specific lecture that we were talking about Hetch Hetchy, and. Uh, I, I, woo, that was just like a wave of emotion coming back and how he, how passionately he talked about the need that we need to know things and like understand theory. But if we don't translate that to action and policy and further education, then what are we doing this for? Mm. So absolutely. And the second one was uh, having uh, Jim Petrick in RPTS. He's a, uh, he's, he's in, uh, he teaches tourism classes. Oh, okay. And uh, having him talk about, uh, him doing the, 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 it's the North Texas, like the hotter than hell. Right. Right. Oh, I, and, I've worked it as a volunteer yeah. and it's hot for the volunteer mm -hmm. too. Yeah. So it actually comes through my hometown, Archer city. And so it's a lot of fun that he was like, I, that's what I love about recreation professors in general. It's just everything they talk about can be so applicable and so relatable. So very good. Words of advice for people that are, new in the recreation field, what is the best career advice you can give them at this juncture? Maybe they have less than two years experience. Try everything. What that means is, okay, you might've been hired as a, a program specialist, but why not volunteer with the park crew? Can I help you on some project? Or are you were hired as a program specialist for youth See if you can volunteer or seek out maybe a day of cross-training with seniors. What you're doing is every opportunity that you can to build your resume and your experiences, good or bad, they're going to be a plus because you'll either one, gosh, there's this whole new area that I can do and be, and I love it. I never knew about it. Or, gosh, I just did X, and that's not for me. Okay, now you don't have to worry about that, but at least you've been exposed to it. And if you want to move up that career ladder where theoretically you take on more uh, responsibility, different um, program units or responsibility units that may not be your forte per se, 
you need to have some knowledge about it. So I'd say try everything and not just within your own agency. Maybe you go volunteer for another service delivery system or get engaged with some, have, have a coffee hour or a happy hour with other members from time to time just to exchange so that you're all, it's always learning. It's always learning. Um, even if you just, I mean, now with Zoom, we're all, I think most of us are now comfortable with Zoom. Well, there's no reason why we can't set up Zoom with peers in the neighborhood or across the state and just have conversations. But, but go beyond your own little yard because uh, it's really comfortable there, you know? It's, it's comfy being in our own yard and space. But if you really want to move forward or even if you want to better serve your yard, then you still need to reach out. Hi, Will. What's up, buddy? Sorry, guys, for, for hopping on late. I actually just finished up at the uh, North Region Traps Golf Tournament, and we had a blast. Like, got to go out there at the Cowboys Golf Course. It was so fun. If you are listening, if you never participated in some kind of, you know, golf tournament with your region or, you know, regional ex exhibition or anything like that, or the, the rodeos, always always a good time those are great ways to get involved have a good time network with other people um i i will tell you we had a blast and we finished dead last we finished dead last in the tournament but we still had a really really good time um you can be that bad at golf and still have so much fun getting to meet new people and just, and just having a great time so sign up for your local trap stuff sign up for the statewide things and, and get get into get participating that'll help you open so many doors you know and it's, it's so fun you know Dr. Lord, so big question I have for you is, you know, we've talked about those kind of people who are getting into it, but what about those people who are on their last leg, those last, you know, five to 10 years? How do you keep that passion going? How do you keep driving to, to finish strong, I guess, if you will? Well, that's a great question and, and one that actually I can answer because I wouldn't have had an answer until about two or so years, three years ago. <laughs> and because um, I'm in that boat now, uh, it was like, the way they phrase it is, what do you want your legacy to be? Mm. And, you know, maybe we should think about that when we get started, but we don't. You know, we're, we're worried about growing our career and the like. But when you hit that five or ten year mark away, your way from retirement, you are or should start to think about what do I want my legacy to be about? How can I be a good ancestor? Mm -hmm. You know, and that's our ancestors passed on things to us values, traditions, knowledge, um, and the like. That should be part of our role five and 10 years out from retiring or mm -hmm. the like. And then part of how to be a good ancestor then really determines what kind of legacy. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's not too late to make changes if that's what is called for or to try some new things to give back or to shape um, those that follow. So I would just sort of, it, those two words, legacy and ancestor, when it was asked of me about three years ago, just gave me a huge aha moment. Can, can and, I follow up a little bit with that one, Dr. Yeah. Lord? What would you, if you had to describe your own and kind of toot your own horn, I know sometimes it's hard, the hardest thing to do. <laughs> In a couple words, how would you describe your biggest legacy that you've had on on traps, on everything in general. What, what do you think about with your legacy? 
and brag about yourself. We all know you want. We all want to. Right? You gotta go for it, <laughs> Doctor Lord. Well, I, I, I guess, hopefully, making um, an impression and touching a lot of young people who now may are not as young as they once were. <laughs> uh, young people, great professionals. I, I pop with pride. Uh, because I'm seeing so many of the folks that either I mentored officially or unofficially or they worked for me or they were students of mine do great things. They're doing great things for the profession, good things for their agency. Um, it just makes me smile and, um, and also gets me a little uh, teary-eyed there too. Um, but that would be the, the thing that I really am proud about, hopefully touching a number of lives, uh, trying to make a difference. Hopefully I did, but the, the, the big thing is the outcome, what they're doing, they're, they're carrying that forward. It's a ripple effect, and how, how great is that? Yeah, I, I can, I'm sure anybody who's listening to this who's met you or even has heard your legacy and knows your legend, I'm, I'm sure everybody agrees with that one 100%. You, you've made a huge legacy and impact on, on all of us for sure. Well, you're kind. <laughs> all right. Well, Dr. Lord, thank you so much for your time today. And we're, we're going to log off. Okay. Well, anytime you want to talk, you, you make me think Jordan. <laughs> it was a, it was a blessing and a really a big honor to have you come talk. Well, to us thank today. you both. I appreciate you. I, I'm, you. I'm thinking some great stuff's going to come from this podcast thing. <laughs> We hope, we hope. No, I think so. Thank you, guys. Be careful. Stay well. No problem. Bye.